0: Good morning, it's an, it's an honor to, to be here and be with you today. I want to do a little infomercial for the upcoming play. B.J. Johnson is a friend of mine. I met him a number of years ago in Jackson, Mississippi. I was taking a course on evangelism, and he came in. I had no idea that John Wesley was about to come through the door of our classroom. There was a loud rap, and, and he came in. It was just, it's really a blessing. And everything that he shares, I think down to the last word, is from the journals of John Wesley. So it's not him speculating about John Wesley. Some of us may not even know that name, but John Wesley is one of the most prolific Christians that has lived in the modern era. Of course, we're talking the 1700s. But he he went like 50,000 miles on horseback preaching eight or 10 times a day. He wrote many, many, many books, mostly writing them while he was riding his horse, going from place to place. So he's an amazing guy. The other thing about B.J. that I hope we will invite him back for, is that he's a part of a group called, I don't know if he's a part of them, but he works for YWAM, which is Youth With A Mission. And he goes all over the world, and he's done this play in many other countries as well as all across this country. But he goes all over the world teaching people how to learn whole books of the Bible, to memorize whole books of the Bible. I I haven't uh, been exposed to that, but it's an amazing process. So I just wanted to encourage you to think about participating in that. I think it'll be a blessing to you. So I'm used to preaching on the street and the people are dressed a little different than we are this morning and I am as well. And typically when I preach out there the guys that I work with will tell me afterwards they said, "Well, that was a real simple message." I'm not sure they mean it as a compliment, but but I actually take it that way because the gospel is very straightforward. And, and I wanna be as simple as we can possibly be this morning. And I wanna I want invite you and myself, I've never spoken that I wasn't speaking as much to me as I was to anybody. To invite us to have an honest discourse with ourselves and God about where we are with him. To be real. It doesn't matter, all of us have a facade. Everybody puts on somewhat of a front, but when we're before God, it's just heart to heart. He's looking at our heart and I want you to be real with him and I want me to be real with him because there's only two groups of people on earth. There are those who are in Christ, and I'll come back to that in a second, and those that, that are not. And we're in one of those two groups. And the only difference between those who are and those who are not is that those who are in Christ have received a gift. They haven't done anything to make themselves better. They simply have received the gift for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Our part in that is simply to receive. We don't have any part. There's nothing, nothing in our hand we bring simply to the cross we cling, as the, as the hymn says. So I want, to, I want to look at that. I want to look in depth at today, and then we're coming into this new year. I want us to, to say, where am I with you this year, God? Where am I with you today, and, and what am I willing to do this year in terms of that relationship to, to see that grow? All of us have room to grow. Doesn't matter where we are, we have places to go in Christ. There's too much of me in the way between me and Jesus, and I think the same's probably true of you as well. Uh, I think that that's a common malady that we all suffer from. So I want to talk about for a few minutes about what it means to be in Christ. This is simple and it's straightforward but it has nothing to do with being in this building or any building that looks like this. You can sit in one of these buildings from birth to death. You can sing in the choir, you can give money, you can teach Sunday school, you can do all those things and those are great things, I'm certainly not speaking against them, but none of those things will make you a Christian. There's nothing we can do, I remember a story about a a revival that was going on, and and at the end of it, th- this pastor kept hoping this one young man was going to come up uh, during the, some of the invitations, and he never did. And at the end, when he was leaving, the young man came up to him, and he was just pleading. He said, What can I do to be saved? He said, Nothing. There, there's nothing we can do to be saved. It's just simply to receive the gift. Now, we live in the South, and and... We've all heard about Jesus, and, and we know in our minds that there is a person called Jesus. But that's not the same as being saved, just knowing in our heads. That's a good thing to know about, but that's not salvation. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him, to believe in Him is to put our trust in Him. In in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, Paul said, For it is by grace, that's the gift of God, that you are saved. So it's a gift through faith. And he says, Even that is a gift of God, so that none of us may boast. It's all from God. Salvation is not our idea. It's God's idea. It's God's plan. He's accomplished all of it, and we simply receive it. And so I put this chair up here to to make an analogy. I can see this chair and I can believe this chair will hold me and I can think that it's a strong chair, but is it holding me? No, it's not because I'm not sitting in it. And I can know about Christ and I can know all about things about him. I can know everything I learned in Sunday school, everything anybody else said. But if I'm just knowing that, Even the devil knows who he is, and that doesn't accomplish anything. I have to sit fully in Christ. I have to rest all my weight on him, not trusting in myself, anything I've ever done or ever could do. I'm resting my weight on him. Now, if you're like me, even if you're in Christ every day, multiple times during the day, I feel the need to help him a little bit, and I'll put one foot down, and I'll try to do this, and I'll try to do that, but I'm convicted. The Spirit convicts me. You Dude, you had not got anything to offer. Just surrender. And so that, that's what it's about. It's about putting our full weight in the finished work of Jesus, and his finished work is that God created everything. Everything that we know of is created by God, and he, he made it, and when he got through, he said, it's good. But we know that Adam and Eve turned away from God. They failed to trust in God. And that sin, God is holy, and he can have nothing to do with that sin. And that sin separated man, all men. I, I don't mean men like male. I mean like people from God. God's holiness could have nothing to do with man's sinfulness. And sin is not just something we do. It's our nature. You don't have to teach a child to sin. It's in our nature, and, and that's just the reality of it. And so Christ came to, to bridge that gap, to reconcile us, to bring us back from, from death, because we're dead spiritually, and he makes us alive. I love the quote that says, he didn't come to uh, make bad men good. He may, came to br- make dead people alive. And so I was dead, and then He made me alive. Not based on me. Lord knows, not based on me. Based on Him and who who He is. So, you know, if you could have been a member of this church or a member of some other church for 50 years, and you may not have ever really trusted in Christ, and, and if that fits somebody, and I pray that it doesn't, but if it does... Don't let the pride of acknowledging that get in your way. Because today you today can be the day of salvation. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to come to an altar. You can do all those things. And those things are open... But Jesus tore the curtain in half. He, he made a way for us to go directly to God. We don't need anybody in between us and him. We come. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We just sang that. And that's how we come to God is, is through the blood of Jesus. So if you've never done that, as Eric says, I think every Sunday, don't, don't leave here without addressing that. That there's nothing wrong with, and, and I can't think of anything more exciting than to see somebody come to faith in Christ. That's the most exciting thing that we see. That, that's what we're here about. So, uh, I want to move on now, and I want to talk to the people, to all the people, but I, I want to go back and focus on uh, people who are in Christ. Not by anything special, just, just by grace. We need to get this fixed in our mind that God is who he says he is and he always does what he says he will do, period. Our situation, our circumstances do not change that. God changes not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what a great joy that is to us that we, we are loved and we serve a God who never changes, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. Isn't, isn't that an awesome thing? And, and we need to have that fixed in our mind because our view of God, the most important thought, I'll interrupt myself with this, the most important thought that you and I will ever have is what we think of when we think of God. We need to have right thoughts about God. This is the way it's kind of evolved in my life is that when I wake up in the morning, I don't do this every morning, but it's my goal to do this every morning, is I literally, when my eyes blink open, and I'm one of those people that wake up fairly quickly, I, I try to think about who God is, and I think, you know, It doesn't matter what happens today because God's got it. He's sovereign. We need to take that word and bring it into the deepest part of our being. That means that God is completely in control. Are there some times when that bothers me? Absolutely. In the sense that I don't understand why did this happen. But I can understand this. God God doesn't change He loves us. He's got a long range view and we can trust him. Uh, Job said, his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? He's done all this stuff to you. And he said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And and that's what we can say. We can say, Lord, if today is the day, praise God. I'm I'm ready. It's okay. It's okay because I, I trust you. I don't trust myself. So, Jesus asked, "Knock this thing off." Jesus asked a very important question. He was on his way, and this scripture is in your handout in the bulletin. He he was on his way into Caesarea Philippi. He was walking with his disciples, and he said, "Who, "Who do the people say that I am?" And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some one of the other prophets. That wasn't really his point. And Jesus was not having an identity crisis, trust me. He, he was, the, the question is not who he is, but who he, is he in our heart? Do we see him aright? And he said, but who do you say that I am? And see, that's the question I want us to really be honest with God about and ourselves to really bring ourselves before God this year, this day, this hour, this minute, and say, who, who are you in my life? And we want to, we're going to talk about just what that means. So he's looking at you and me because when God speaks, his word never changes. So that question asked thousands of years ago is being asked to you and I this morning. That the scripture is living and active When we open this, we don't need to think of reading an old book. We need to think that we're opening the living Word of God that's living and active and that God is speaking directly to us, revealing Himself to us fresh, new today. And so it's a joy to open this book and have the King of kings and Lord of lords speak to me at my house in Covington, Louisiana. So, you know, and and He wants to speak to all of us. So, in my former life, for a long time, I sat on a bench and I listened to evidence and I made judgments. And so here is, here is the question. Can I be convicted and can you be convicted of knowing who Jesus is in reality, to, to being who he's called us to be? How, how would we know that? We've all got to answer that question. When, when we take an honest look at ourselves... Here's what we need to look at. What am I spending my time thinking about? Because what I think about is what's most important to me. Now, I know that my friend Daryl is thinking about the national championship tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow night. And I know that his beard tells me, which he hasn't cut since I started playing, that he's all in for that. But I also know his heart for the Lord, as much as any of us can know another person's heart. And so we, we need to be real, and we need to be honest and say, where, where am I before you? And see what the evidence is in our thoughts, also in our words. How do we speak to other people? Not at church, yes, not, not that that's not important, but when nobody else is looking When we're speaking to the cashier at the uh, convenience store or the lady that takes up money if you don't have a tag at the causeway entrance or whoever it is, the people that that other people aren't going to see, how how are our words? Uh, God says only say those things that are helpful for building others up. Is what I'm saying helpful for building others up? So our thoughts and our words and our actions, how are we spending our time? What, what is the focus of our time in this day, in this hour, in this year, in 2020? Are we truly following after God? And, and then the subject that, that is sensitive to everybody and they draw their feet under the pew is, is what are you spending your money on? Does your care of what God has entrusted you with reflect a Christ-centered life? That's between you and God. You know it, and He knows it. But you need to be honest, and I need to be honest, and we need to bring those things before God. Everything we have is a gift from Him. Everything. Even our breath. The fact that we're sitting here is a gift from God. We need to recognize that we couldn't even raise up out of the bed but for Him. Coming back to my chair from a, from a different angle, to trust in Christ, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord, one of my favorite scriptures, and most challenging ones, with all of your heart. So what does that mean? He says, lean not on your own understanding. So today, when, when something happens at work, or on the road, if somebody cuts me off, or or at work, somebody does something I don't like. How do I respond to that? Am I responding from a Christ-centered point of view or a Hollis-centered point of view? Plug your name in there. And so to trust in the Lord with all of our heart is to sit fully and trust Him. What is the opposite of trust? To worry, to be angry, to be not all anger but, but largely to, to worry, to be to be afraid. He said, "Fear not, for I am with you. Wherever you go, do not be discouraged. Be strong and of good courage, for the Lord your God will be with you." My mother, who just passed away a couple of months ago, uh, very much. In fact, that's on her tomb, and and she had that where she could she could see it, and that was just like a rock to her uh, to to see that all the time, and just to be reminded. Of of who God is, if 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 we don't honestly bring ourselves before God, then and and have this conversation, I, I love the way I heard somebody put this one time. We're picking our own pocket. We're we're denying ourselves of a great blessing. It seems fearful to be real before God, but guess what? Newsflash: He already knows your side of it <laughs> and my side of it. So let's let's be real with him. Let, let's be real. So the, the scripture from Mount Carmel, that's one of my favorite places in the Bible because it, it's a powerful message and it also to me tells me that God's got a sense of humor because I'm not going to go into all of that, but there's a place when the prophets of Baal are trying to bring down the fire and and, and Elijah's saying, like, oh, maybe, maybe Baal's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to wake him up. But the truth is, the powerful part of this is, if God is God, then serve God. And if, if God's not God, then go do whatever you want. Carp, damn, do, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But we know that God is God. We know that we know that we know so are we are we living that out? Here's what I don't want us to do. He says, quit limping between two opinions. In James 1, it says, uh, the man who doubts is an unstable man. He's double-minded. He's unstable in all his ways. He's blown and tossed by the wind like a wave. And that's not how we should be. So we don't want to limp. I don't mean that disrespectfully if anybody has a, any kind of disability but we don't want to spiritually limp we don't want to have a spiritual disability going into this year we we want we want to be strong in in what we're doing and how do we spot a spiritual disability well in the the one of the scriptures that you have before you is where the rich young ruler engaged with jesus and he said what must i do to be saved and he said well you know the commandments I love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your mother and father and He said, I, I've done all those. But Jesus knew what was in his heart. There was not there's nothing wrong with having assets. That wasn't the point. But he knew that between him and having a full, committed, surrendered relationship was his money. It just was blocking his view. And so he said, Go sell sell all you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. Well, that, that um, diagnosed his spiritual disability. His money was his spiritual disability. All of us have spiritual disabilities. We all have things that come between us, but we need to work to get rid of those, and that's what this, this honest conversation is about. Eric may have picked me because I think I'm an expert in spiritual disability. Uh, and I'll give you the short version of that. In 1966, I was saved. I was 12 years old. And the Lord spoke to me that night in an altar like this and said, you will spend your life serving me. And, and I said, yes, sir, right then. I mean, I was there. I really wasn't, didn't go to the revival for any purpose, but I knew there would be some girls there. But God had a different plan, and he called me down to the front, and, and I got saved that night at 12. And I said, yes, sir, I'm all in. But then a few days later, I thought, well, you know, I've always wanted to be a lawyer and my daddy's a lawyer and he's got a job for me. I'll just do that. And so, you know, it just kind of went downhill because if we're not doing what God called us to do, then we're in a a disability. And by 1987, my life was in a total mess. And that year, three different things happened where I almost died from like April 30th to to, um, Labor Day. And after Labor Day, when I survived the third life-threatening event, I said, Lord, maybe there's something I'm missing here, (laughs) and I I need to listen a little better. Well, in 2000, I I got really backed into being the pastor of a church. I had no idea. I had been asked to speak a few times at churches, and this, this guy that was the superintendent in the Methodist church would say, Look, this pastor's gonna be out for three weeks with surgery. Would you go fill in for him? And, you know, and I was on fire and I said, sure I'll do that. And one day he said to me, We've got another one of those little jobs for you to do. Well, at that time I was judge over the four counties that were my district. I had just gone into the restaurant business, the biggest mistake in my life. I was a chief cook in that business, so I was judging by day and cooking by night. And and but I said, you know, if God told you, then I'll go. And so I'm in the car with Ron Barham, and we're between Brookhaven and and, uh, Beauregard, Mississippi, which is a very, very small place just above Wesson. And when we got, we could see the church, Ron said, now we're going to have a covenant meeting. I said, Ron, covenant is a really big word for filling in. He said, well, I may not have told you the whole story. And I, it dawned on me just then. This is the middle of June. This is when the Methodist churches change their pastors, if they're going to make a change. And so I walked into that church. Here they had this really nice-looking young guy. Had beautiful children. My children are beautiful too. And he could sing to, and play the guitar. I mean, he had everything. And I knew nothing. And I was supposed to replace him. He was one of those that had been there a long time. Everybody loved. It. It's an impossible situation and I go into the meeting in the back and they're asking me questions and the meeting goes on a while and finally this guy named Brother Adrian Hyatt looked at me, wonderful man of God. Um, he, he said, Brother McGee, do you believe God called you to Beauregard? And I said, Brother Hyatt, an hour ago I didn't know this was here. <laughs> and tears literally just burst out of my eyes but i said i've never been more sure in my life that i'm where i'm supposed to be at this moment without any doubt but i didn't trust god i didn't sit fully in the chair because that call was a call for me to surrender finally after all those years and i thought well i can you know i can do that and be a judge and cook and do these other things and and god needs my help because he's not able to provide for my family if i if I don't keep these other things going. I didn't go through those thought processes, but that's the gist of what I was saying to God is that I, I trust you, but I can't trust you completely. That led to a spiritual disability that went into a deep, deep hole. And I'll just tell you that, that I, I ended up in a deep alcoholic slump that, my, in the year that, that I got sober, I asked my wife at that time, Later, years later, I asked her, what did she think? She said, I really didn't think you would live till Christmas. And this, But on August 7th, got up and I was having my second morning drink at 7.30 in the morning. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this is not the way your life is going to end. That was August 7th, 2008. That's been how many ever years ago that's been. And I hadn't had another drink since that morning. And I was completely caught up in that. But it wasn't about the alcohol, it was about the spiritual disability. It may it, it may show up in your life in some other way. But if we're not doing what God calls us to do, if we're not being who God calls us to be, then we're gonna suffer for it. If no other way, we're gonna miss tremendous blessings that He has for us. Because God wants to bless us. So God turned that around amazingly. Within a year I was I had retired from the bench and within a year I, I was had started a new church, I was doing a feeding ministry, I'd asked back to the church I had left from. The Supreme Court hired me as a senior status judge and I was their go-to I mean you you can't script that. I mean I went from being on the side of the road handcuffed, nobody would have ever thought they wanted to ever have anything to do with this person to I was the go-to guy for, for the whole state. That's, that's, in fact, one of the justices said, when I met him one day, he was the only one I think I didn't know, and I introduced myself, and he said, I know who you are, you're Mikey. And you remember that commercial, Mikey, give it to Mikey, he'll eat anything? Well that, you know, whatever hard cases they had, I became their guy, and that's from being as low as you can go. And so the point is that God slowly Dragging me along and on December 17th 2016 I was still working in that job. I Was driving down interstate 59 at the Mallard exit uh, I was living south of Hattiesburg. And I was coming to New Orleans. It was a Saturday morning to do homeless ministry and the Lord said Are you listening yet? Literally, I mean not in my ears, but in my heart as clear as if you heard it with your ears And I said, Lord, I'm all in. (laughs) I'm I'm hearing hearing you this morning. And that night, when I got home from the homeless ministry, I wrote the Supreme Court. I had probably 100 cases on my docket that I was hearing at that time. And I said, I'm gone, I'm done. I got a higher call and I never walked back in the courtroom after that day. Because I had learned what it was like to suffer under a spiritual disability, to, to be disabled completely. And then about two months later, the, the point of all this is, is that wherever you are, don't look back, look forward, because God can rehab you from where you are, and he'll work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So on February 28th, I was living on Black Creek, a beautiful scenic river in, in South Mississippi that... Uh, I literally was living right on the creek, and there's a beautiful trail. And I was walking that trail, and I was reading a book at the time called The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. If you've never read it, I recommend it. And I I just stopped on that trail, and I drew a circle with my walking stick, and I just knelt in it. And I said, Lord, all that I have and all that I am, I, I want to give to you. I don't want to hold anything back. And when I got back to my cabin being a lawyer, I thought, I want some evidence of this. And I drew up a deed, and I deeded myself to the Lord. A quit claim deed saying, I'm yours, I'm no longer my own. And that deed is right in front of me on the wall where I sit by my computer every day to remind me as a witness against me that that I'm not my own, I belong to him. So, what are you going to do with Jesus in 2020? Are you ready to go all in? Are you ready to be, to be real with him, to have that real conversation, to have him probe those parts that you don't want probed and I don't want probed, for him to reveal to us the things that are between us and him. Anything that can block us from seeing who he is. To, to know that he's called us to take up our cross and follow him, to deny ourselves. This life is not about us. This life is not about me, and it's not about you. The the reason we're here is to be in a relationship with him, and if we miss that, we've missed the whole purpose of life. There is no other purpose. Now, we have a lot of different functions. Whatever your avocation in life has been or is, that's great, but that's just your duty position from which you serve God. Whatever it is, if it's, whatever it is. So he, he calls us, he says, if you don't hate your mother, father, brothers, and sisters, then you're not worthy to follow me. He was not promoting hate. You have to read that in, in context and understand. He was saying that he has to be first. There's no place in the kingdom for a second chair. Jesus doesn't take, second chair, and it's just not the way it works. Because when we do that, we're saying, I don't really trust you. I trust you a little bit, but I can't trust you all the way. I need to keep this other job, or I need to do this other thing like, like I was doing. Who is this Jesus that's calling you and calling me? You remember Eric just finished this beautiful series on Colossians. And he says uh, the the preeminence of Christ in Colossians 1. I encourage you to go back and, and reread that. All things were created by him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. So he created all things, and all things were created for him. We were created for Him, not for us. And that's why we can trust Him completely. I think about our life as being like a canvas. If you can imagine this screen or this wall back here as a canvas. And all of our life events, and all of us have struggles and challenges in our life. All of those events are on that canvas. And that canvas is God's love, and it doesn't change And so the events of our lives are are laid over on on the canvas of His love. So we we can trust Him no matter what. Who who is this Jesus? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and Omega. Apart from Him, I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He he was talking to His disciples in this... uh, Discourse that that uh, Seth is going to talk to us about. Uh, he said, uh, "Don't let your hearts be troubled." He said, "Believe in God. Believe also in me." He said, "In my Father's house, which is the place to which we were created to go, are many rooms." He said, "And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. That where I am, there you may be also." He said, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that's who we're talking about when we're talking about being all in for Jesus. We're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who gives us breath. All things hold together in him. Think about that even this universe the gravity that holds us to the ground the position of the earth that if it changed even slightly life couldn't be maintained all of those things are held together in him how would we not trust him how would I not trust him it's a struggle because we've got an old person in us if we've been born again and if today if you're here and today is your day of salvation then then you're a new creation in Christ but that old man is still there, that old person is still there, and, and that's a struggle, but we have to just keep surrendering and surrendering and surrendering. It's, for me, it's multiple times a day. I get in the way off and on all day long. I love this scripture from Isaiah 26.3. He says, you keep him, that's us, in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you know that's really what our hearts yearn for? Is that peace that says, I'm okay. My life has has meaning. I'm here for a purpose. And he says he will keep us in perfect peace if we stay our minds on him. I don't know of anybody that can do that perfectly. But we can we can have an honest discussion with God at the start of this new year and at the start of this day and say, Lord, I want to be that person. I want to be that person who's fully trusting in you. I've got a friend on the street that, that I've known since I first started going there about three and a half years ago, and I communicate with him almost every day. And he actually was a seminary student, and he just went into, he's got, He's got some spiritual disabilities, and uh, he's very skeptical. He, he, he accepts, but he asks me all the time, he says, so what do I do about this? He's kind of testing me all the time, and I say, well, you need to trust God. He said, I knew you were going to say that. That's what you always say. I want some practical advice. That's the most practical advice we can ever receive. In the moment, whatever your moment is, if it's at the four-way stop, trust God. Think of the other ahead of yourself. Let him or her go first. If, you know, and on and on and on. You're getting ready to write a check. Just say, Lord, you know, this is your money. Am I, am I honoring you with this? Would you be pleased with this? God is the most practical person ever he's He's not a person, but that's the way we understand him he's spirit so I want to wind this up in two thousand i think fourteen fourteen or 15, 15, i guess i was on i was living in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, and I was involved in the senior status judging and I was in a little better shape and I ran every day and and i was running the bridge the bay bridge from biloxi over to ocean springs run is probably a, i'm probably using that term loosely <laughs> it was it was a slow jog maybe it might be a better description a lot of people going back and forth and i heard a whine coming behind me i mean like a high, i'm a motorcycle guy and i knew that's what it was and i knew this motorcycle was coming fast fast and what we what I call and a lot of people call a crotch rocket one of the, I mean these bikes will do 200 miles an hour he's coming up I'd say he's doing 120 30 40 miles an hour coming up the bridge and when he got beside about where we were he went up on his rear wheel and he went over that bridge doing 140 or so miles an hour with his front wheel in the air and everybody was like what is wrong with that guy and I said, that's how I want to live the rest of my life for Jesus. He had no backup plan. He was all in. If his plan didn't work, there, there wasn't any plan. He was jumping out of the rear of the plane and he wasn't looking for a parachute. He, he was all in. I don't recommend riding your motorcycle like that, but I do recommend that we respond to Christ that way that that we go all in that we throw away our shoot our, our shoot is whatever we're holding on it's our linus blanket it's it's whatever that that seems like we can't get along without so who do you say today that Jesus is who do you say he is when he's asking you that question how do you answer it when you look at your thoughts your words your actions your use of your time your use of your of your resources. This is not radical Christianity. What we're talking about is Christianity 101. We're just saying, give yourself to God. Give myself to God. Be all in. Hold nothing nothing back. One of my favorite songs is, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And when I am alone, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. He is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. C.T. Studd wrote this, only one life to live twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. That should be our goal. That, that is my goal. I fail at it every day, but that's my goal, and I pray that that's your goal. And so as we get ready to close, I'm going to pray, and, and I guess are we going to have another song. I invite you to think about this year and where you are. I mean, I've been inviting you. I continue to invite you. And I know that we don't normally do this here, but Eric's not here to tell me I can't, so... Uh, <laughs> I I'm either where you're sitting or come to the altar and just have a real encounter with God. You you don't there's nothing magical about this piece of wood and this carpet, but there's something about just bowing before the Lord and saying, "Lord, I, I hadn't I hadn't gotten it perfectly, but I want to be that person. I want to give myself fully to you." So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would prick my heart that I would go from where I am to where you've called me to be. Lord, I want to be all in, and I pray that for each of us. Lord, that, that we're missing, I'm missing, we're missing the greatest blessings of life with each moment that we withhold any part of our heart from you. So Lord, I open the heart, my heart. I pray that we would each open our hearts, Lord. There's no door, no room in my heart that that I'm going to put a do not enter sign on. Lord, I ask you to search my heart and know me, and show me any wicked, any ungodly, any any uh, spiritual limp that's in my life, and. Create in me a clean heart. Create in each of us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us and lead us, Lord, in the way that is everlasting that you might be honored and that we might be drawn closer to you for your glory and your honor. I pray in Christ's name, amen.